Stop punishing yourself with bland, chalky protein shakes and fuel your fitness with the best protein in the game at GNC. We've got the hottest brands and flavors that legit taste like cookies, your favorite cereal, indulgent desserts, and more. It's on at GNC. Okay, blue-white breakdown, Penn State edition, Penn Live, Bob Flanders, joined by Greg Pickle. And uh, Greg, I sound like a broken record, but uh, every week of the offseason brings with it more intrigue. It's happened the last couple of years uh, with Penn State. Normally at this time of the year, they're coming off good seasons, and coaches are leaving probably for, for – uh, for better jobs or more intriguing openings, uh, but that is not the case this year. So let's get to it, Greg. Hope you ha- hope you're having a good January. But on a scale of one to ten, when you heard the news last Friday, we're taping this on a on a Wednesday that Kirk Shiraka was not going to be back after one year, and James was instead going to uh, hire Texas OC Mike Yursich to become the new play caller. Uh, what was kind of going through your mind, and did you think it was a little bit of a short hook? I did, Bob, and I think that you know, on a scale of one to ten, it was a ten. There's no question. Yeah. I mean, if you, when I saw the tweet pop up that Penn State had announced a coaching staff change, while I was waiting for it to load, I'm thinking, you know, and we had talked about this on past white breakdowns. You know, it could be a defensive staff, or, or, you know, Tyler Bowen's a guy who, again, we talked about is one day going to be in line for a promotion to be an offensive coordinator. So. The last thing I ever expected to see uh, upon loading that up was Mike Yurcich in and Kirk Sharaka out. And, you know, Tom Herman and that staff down at Texas were let go on Jan 2 or 3, I believe. It was very early to start the new year. This was, you know, not very long after that. And, you know, the fact that no one had any idea that uh, this was happening, that no one broke the news before Penn State announced it, kind of tells you all you need to know as far as I'm concerned. And that's James Franklin, I think, probably has wanted to coach with Mike Yurcich in the past. They've never been able to make it work. But with Herman out of a job, Mike Yurcich is going to be out of a job at Texas because Steve Sarkeesian is either going to call his own plays or bring his own guy in. So, uh, I mean, it was kind of a a fitting match. And, you know, the one that's obviously left out in the cold is Kirk Sharaka, who – Never really had a chance, I don't think, to put his offense or at least his full offense in at Penn State. Obviously, conducted a lot of his installation over Zoom and then had to deal with a season that, you know, quickly saw the team's two top running backs go down. So I have no doubt that if he wants to land on his feet somewhere, which I don't I don't think he's quite at the retirement part of his career yet, but I don't know if he's, you know, I don't know how long he was going to be uh, coaching uh, anyway. So we'll see what he decides to do. But I, I don't think he'll have any problem finding a place to work. So I don't really think it's an indictment of him so much as it was that I think James Franklin knows that they have a really good class of 2022. I think it's probably pretty clear now that this is the guy he wanted to lead his offense. And Kirk Soraka, unfortunately, was just collateral damage of that being an opportunity that presented itself to James Franklin now after just one season with Kirk. Okay, so that is that is certainly a good theory. But, Greg, we could also talk about, you know, uh, the 0-5 start in which they uh, – at home, I thought pretty pretty thoroughly outplayed by Ohio State and Maryland and Iowa. 
you know, you lose at Nebraska. Nebraska certainly wasn't a good team. Um, it all probably snowballed from, uh, snowballed from that tough loss to Indiana, but you're 0-5. And, uh, you know, what we don't see, even though they're meetings, is kind of how, how Kirk and the rest of the staff interact together. Um, but I want to bring up two points and get your thoughts on them for James maybe making a case. He's, he's acted quickly uh, in the past. I don't know that he's ever acted uh, more quickly uh, than he did with this uh, move because this was, this was viewed as a home run hire. Um, I'll never forget, we were on the plane landing in Dallas uh, for the Cotton Bowl when the news broke that he was coming to, uh, from Minnesota, Kirk was, to uh, Penn State. And we thought, oh, boy, they're, they're really setting themselves up for to have a prolific offense. So two things to get to with Kirk uh, and maybe the quick hook. Uh, one of the worst, I would say, one of, the, one of the more ineffective red zone offenses I can remember seeing at Penn State, given the skill of the offensive line. And there were some, you know, they, they, they did have some talent on offense. They didn't have Noah Kane and they didn't have – obviously Journey Brown, and they didn't have Pat Fryer for half a year, but there were still some talented players. 19 touchdowns and 37 possessions. Um, and, you know, the, the red zone offense really killed them at Nebraska when they had a chance to kind of come back and win that game. Uh, it surfaced itself a couple of times. <clears throat> do you think James took note of that, or do you think that uh, it's really more about what you said? Hey, I got a chance to finally coach with Mike, and I'm, I'm going to take my shot right now. Yeah, I mean, I think, Bob, you make a good point, too, in that they obviously weren't – you can't – I don't know if you can blame everything about this offense that struggled on the pandemic, on the virtual nature of the offseason, all of the, you know, the injuries and so on and so forth. So I'm sure that was a part of it as well. And, I mean, I guess if that is the case, it's not like Penn State didn't know what it was getting with Kirk Sharaka. I mean, his offense has been – you know, it, it is – you know what you're getting with him. So – then I think you question, well, why'd they go with him in the first place? And, you know, obviously he hasn't had red zone struggles like this in the past. Obviously Minnesota's offense was uh, exciting and beat up on Penn State. So you can certainly point to all of that stuff. But, yeah, no, there's no doubt that the red zone problems were kind of consistent. And obviously turnovers were an issue, and I don't know how much of that's on Kirk, but that was a problem that I'm sure James Franklin can point to. But, you know, I guess I look at it like this. If he, I, I think you got to give James Franklin credit either theory whichever it is or if it's some third one that we're not thinking of I think it was pretty obvious that he saw a way to improve this program immediately and went out and did it and you know it's not I guess a great surprise again considering all the issues that you pointed out I mean certainly uh, at the moment it was but when you look back on it you can kind of see some of the thought process I also again can't help but think that some of this might be tied to the class of 2022. And again, they're loaded up on offense in that cycle. And if you didn't think Kirk was going to be the guy, right. if you had doubts about him being the guy going into 2022, then this is the right time to make this change and get your guy in here now. So, you know, that could be a part of it as well. But very surprising, obviously, didn't see this one coming. You know, when Tom Herman was let go down there, I guess you could have maybe started to put the puzzle pieces together and think that this was possible. But you know, it certainly wasn't on our radar, and I don't right. think it was on anyone but James Franklin's radar. And he quickly swooped in, got it done, and Penn State's offense is certainly going to look a bit different next year, and there's or next season rather. This year, there's no question about that. Yeah, you touched on something I was going to bring up, but not in the not the way that you did it. Recruiting, uh, maybe James got a little bit of a better read on Kirk as a recruiter, and maybe not specifically as a recruiter, but 
you know, does his uh, approach while recruits make them want to come to Penn State? Um, you know, he was in place when they tried to put the finishing touches on uh, this most recent class that is not viewed. I think there's some players that got away. Um, James has talk, talked about before the season that it just wasn't good enough. Uh, I just wonder if James, uh, the recruiting component uh, is, is a lot more important to James than I think maybe we, we, re we realize and people realize. And I just wonder if, I wonder if Kirk recruits at the fervor that James wants. James is known as a relentless recruiter. recruiter. He wants his staff to be that way as well. And I just wonder if maybe James felt like <clears throat> he was going to have some trouble maybe with Kirk as a recruiter moving forward. Any, any thoughts on that? You know, I look at it like this, Bob. I don't know if you need – because let's be honest, they have three of the most dynamic position coach recruiters yeah. in the Big Ten on offense in running backs coach Jay Wansider, tight ends coach Tyler Bowen, and offensive line coach Phil Troutwine. So to me – they have the recruiters in place that you can let your offensive coordinator be kind of that guy who sits in the last building or sits on zoom and shows recruits how they fit into his offense. And, you know, he doesn't necessarily have to be the, the pounding the pavement less than Taylor Stubblefield obviously has done a nice job too. I mean, let me not forget him. Uh, they have all these receivers committed in the 2022 class and went and got Harrison Wallace late. So he's a part of that as well. And so, you know, when you look at those four guys, they're going to go out and make the relationships and get the recruits to campus. And then it's going to be Mike Yersich's job to wow them while they're there and also on Saturday. And, you know, one of the things we had talked about during the season, Bob, was it was hard for me to imagine recruits looking at that Penn State offense and saying, <laughs> really, really, I'm looking forward to playing in that because it just didn't look it didn't look like it had any creativity. It didn't look like it had any rhythm. And some of that you can blame on the players, but some of that is obviously right. the coaches too. So, you know, I think that's a part of it as well. I don't know if you need Mike Yersich to be this wow recruiter in terms of going out and selling kids because they have guys on this staff that can do that specifically on offense. I just think you need Yersich to put a system in place that works and he needs to be obviously impressive when kids come to campus, but you know, his job's going to be to go get a quarterback and quarterbacks that can run this offense the way he wants it run and then make sure that things keep falling into place at every other position. So, you know, I don't think they're getting, uh, you know, this super, super recruiter and he doesn't need to be. He needs to make sure that yeah. things on the field work and he needs to be the one that signs off on all the quarterbacks. This is like a special edition of the Blue White Breakdown, the Kirk Shiraka new OC Edition, but there's a lot to talk about here. And before we uh, move on to some player news, two things, Greg. What have you gleaned from your maybe some statistics <clears throat> that you associate with Mike Yersich's offenses over the years? He is a little bit of a nomad. He isn't. He hasn't really been in one place for very long. Um, are there any staples? Number one, number one, Greg. And also, um, what about the financial component of of hiring him? Uh, you know, coming out of a pandemic, uh, I saw, uh, I think it was according to USA Today, I think he was making like 1.5, 1.7 million at Texas. That's a, that's a lot of scratch when you're coming off a four and five year at Penn State and you didn't really have a fan base to kind of pad the coffers and, you know, you're running at a deficit. Uh, how, how do you think that's going to work? Plus, uh, I'm, I don't know how much they owe Kirk. 
Yeah, that's the one thing that I don't know if we'll really ever get an answer to. Penn State's not required to release its assistant coach contracts. Yeah. I can't recall them ever doing that. You might have heard of the top 25 uh, biggest salaries at Penn State. Well, that gets released based on the tax year. So we'll find out this April maybe what Kirk Soraka was making based on what that. And then, you know, the next fiscal year, we'll find out where Kirk, or, uh, Mike Yurcich falls into the fold. So, you know, obviously I, he didn't come cheap. I can assure you of that. Um, unless he really had no other job prospects, which seems very unlikely. And the fact right. that he took this one so quickly, I mean, obviously I think he probably likes to fit, but the money had to be right. I'm sure too. So there's that angle of it. You're right. We don't know what exactly, if anything, Penn State owes Kirk, you would imagine it's something, but we don't know for sure. So that's a fascinating part of this that I don't know if we'll ever be able to really uncover, or at least won't be able to for some time. And then when you talk about this offense, I mean, I think the first reaction a lot of people had was, well, Penn State's going to throw it 70 times a game now. And they're just going to, and they, I mean, it's going to be a vertical offense. There's no question, build off the play action, build off the vertical passing game. And uh, are they going to throw the ball more? Sure. But you know, it's, I don't think it's going to be true air raid, true, you know, let's just drop back 70 times a game and throw it 60 times a game and throw it. But, you know, obviously the question, the first question to answer is, is does he believe they have the quarterback that can run his system on the roster? Yeah. If not, what do they do about finding one? I think they have the receivers, the tight ends, the running backs and. You know, if the offensive line works out the way we think it will, I think they have those pieces in place. But you might only be able to go so far. In fact, you probably are only going to go so far as your quarterback. So, you know, um, when you look at some of the numbers of the past, obviously they, his offenses have scored points and they have, uh, you know, they run plenty of plays. I guess the question is this, and I've heard a lot of our colleagues talk about this over the last week, but, you know, when he was at Oklahoma State, how do you parse what was his offense and what was Mike Gundy's offense and whose impact was it? Right. Same thing at Ohio State now and then the same thing last year at Texas. And um, so I think that's the biggest question. How much of all of what he's did with those schools was what he really truly wanted to do versus some of the tweaks that maybe we saw later in the year this year at Texas. Uh, so I think that's another in, uh, interesting part of this as well. If you want to use his past to gauge what he's done, that's obviously fine. But I would just caution that because of who he's been with and how those guys have controlled uh, the offense, he was the offensive coordinator in name, but how much of it was 100% what he wanted versus stuff he was implementing and, and doing because that's what the head coach or whoever was there at the time wanted. So that's something to keep in mind as well. But yeah, they're going to throw it play action vertical, yeah. you know, you get the concept of the power, the smash spread. And, you know, a lot of what Urban Meyer's done, I think will be a part of that as well, Bob. Okay, so as we head to the blue-white breakdown midway part of this podcast, I'm Bob Flounders with Greg Pickle. Uh, just generally, just generally uh, speaking, Greg, it'll be interesting to see if that's the end of the coaching staff maneuvering for James. I mean, I, I, we, we suspected if there was going to be a change, it would be on the defensive end. That hasn't happened yet, but you know what? There's still time, Greg. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, nothing is surprising. And if it does happen, it will likely happen on a Friday afternoon. That's what I've learned uh, with Penn State. But we'll see. So, Greg, we're halfway through the podcast. Uh, please tell the listeners and the viewers what they can do, how they can find us, and remind them that, you know, this we're not doing as many as we did in season. But eventually, uh, as we get closer to signing day, I think we're going to start to do more of the blue-white uh, breakdown. <laughs> 
That's right, Bob. I think a ramp up is right around the corner for the Blue White Breakdown. Season two of the Blue White Breakdown on Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcast, Stitcher as well. And then the video version, youtube.com slash all Penn State. It's always there. Yeah, we're going to start ramping these up soon, Bob. I know we've been promising that for a few weeks. I think next week might be the week we finally get that done. So we'll be sure to let everyone know. Okay. So let's talk about some uh, – let, let's go to – we talked about recruiting with um, – with uh with Kirk Shiraka we talked about the 2022 class uh before we get to some player news about players that are coming back all of them coming back it looks like it's a flurry of players now that are lining up to play in state college uh in in 2021 Greg I we're still we're still you know three weeks maybe more than three weeks away from the next the second signing day James has delivered on his vow to get some transfer guys in here he's got four of them uh, I know you think a couple of them can really help, but uh, as far as signing kids that are not already in college via the transfer, um, is there any is there any news uh, after the Mackay Flowers announcement? Is there anything Penn State fans should be watching for in the in the coming weeks? Are they in it for anyone else? I mean, at this point, we've talked about George Rooks for a couple of weeks now, the New Jersey defensive tackle. They offered a 2021 corner recently. His name escapes me at the moment. We'll see if they can get in there. He's a guy who's blown up late. But, you know, when you talk about recruiting at this point of the calendar, I think unless somebody really knocks their socks off or if there's some guy that Mike Yershid said, hey, we were trying to get him late at Texas, we should try and get him here. I think they're going to save the spots they have left for transfer portal additions. Right. And it's funny because I want to go back to something you said to start the show. You know, normally this time of the year, Penn State's coming off a good season and it has a bunch of bad news going on between guys leaving and coaches yeah. leaving. And even if it's not bad news, it's not, it's neutral at best. And now they come off a bad season and they're getting mostly good news. And it's quiet though on the high school recruiting front, which in years past is usually where you would go to find that good news right now, because there wasn't a whole lot else uh, going on right. for Penn state. So I think that's kind of interesting. I don't know why that is, but yeah, I think at this point you maybe look for one or two more guys to join the transfer portal class, maybe more. We'll see. Uh, and I have to think some more guys will be moving on. It just, and maybe some of them will wait to spring practice and see how things go assuming it's more of a normal spring practice and then go right. but I don't think Penn State's done in that area either yeah we still don't know how many people are allowed to have on the roster this year with the NCAA's transfer rules and the year that didn't count with 2020 so you just don't even know if it's at eight is the number is 85 or what I mean I think I just think they're still figuring that out I might be wrong but Craig since we were last podcasting last week, by my count, Penn State's got good news from three veteran players. Um, all of them, I think, eventually will play in the NFL. Uh, but let's start with, I think, the one that maybe play, uh, the fans are most excited about, uh, wideout Jahan Dotson, who uh, in 2020 was a third-year junior, even though that year doesn't count. Um, but he set all kinds of uh, – he put up all kinds of big numbers in a nine-game season. I think he led the Big Ten in total receiving yards. He emerged as a dynamic deep threat, run after the catch threat. He uh, did some very good things. As a punt returner, he's not the biggest guy in the world. I was, I was not sure that he was coming back, only because I don't know how you better that. But he's coming back for what will be his fourth year – 
at Penn State, and how does how does his how does his uh, we're gonna make Kermit we'll make Kermit edit this. How does his presence kind of impact the Penn State offense? Because I think secondaries are gonna play him a lot differently in twenty twenty one. Yeah, I mean, I think he, he was the guy when we talked previously, we thought he would likely move on just because what was there left for him to prove? What was there left for him to do in terms of getting better, getting bigger, getting stronger? And of course, you can always do those things in little increments, but I don't know how much that yeah. kind of growth there is. But you know what? Yeah. He had a terrific season, and this is a loaded year for receivers in the NFL draft. Of right. course, you can say that almost every year, it feels like. So, uh, you know, obviously, Penn State uh, will is thrilled that he's coming back, both for the return aspect of things and as a receiver uh, I'm guessing that he got some advice I haven't dug deeply enough into it yet but I just wonder if maybe next year's receiver class isn't a little bit less daunting if you will as this year's one was but I still think he would have went in a pretty darn good spot even with that being said just because of what he showed this season but yeah for Penn State you talk about getting a veteran back on that offensive side of the ball. Now he gets to play in this vertical offense and really, you know, showcase more of what he showcased all season uh, and only earned big 10, all third, all big 10 third team honors. So, you know, obviously he has uh, plenty to prove in that department as well, but yeah, good news for Penn state, a little bit unexpected. I don't know if it's quite the same story with Rashid Walker. Uh, He was next on my list. Rashid announced he was staying back, uh, uh, coming back, left tackle for Penn State two years in a row as a starter. Very talented kid, um, and he would have been in his fourth year as well. He would have been a red shirt. He's going to be a red shirt if they're always such a figure as a red shirt. Fourth year player in the fall, uh, and it'll be his third year as a starter. was already getting some draft buzz, and I think that the buzz is very real, and I think it will only improve. But, Greg, with Rasheed Walker back on the left side, Caden Wallace back at right tackle, uh, Mike Miranda, a guy who can play center or guard back, and the emergence of Juice Scruggs as probably their top interior reserve, I think they have the makings of of a pretty good offensive line. Again, I think they'll have to identify a fifth starter, one guy we thought we'd be talking about, and it's, so it's not all been good news, is C.J. Thorpe's out. So had he stayed, I think he would have been in the running. But um, I think Penn State knows the identity now with Rasheed Walker back of four-fifths of their offensive line. Yeah, that's right, Bob. And I think that they really like some of the other younger guys they have there that maybe we haven't heard as much about or seen. And with C.J. Thorpe, I just think that he felt like maybe defensive tackle was a better position for his game. I don't know if Penn State disagrees with that. So I don't know. Something just tells me that worked out fine for both sides. And then, yeah, when you talk about Walker coming back, obviously I think another year of seasoning. If he plays even a little bit better than he did the last two seasons, and I thought, of course, last year he was better than his first year as a starter in 2019, I don't think it's out of the question he can work himself into the first round conversation. I really don't. And second round at worst. So, you know, he has all the tools. He has all the the right measurables and everything like that. So to come back for another year and try and get into that conversation and cement himself in that conversation, I think makes a lot of sense. So, yeah, that's done there. And I just wonder how many people have now stopped listening, Bob, after we started. (laughs) Another January uh, podcast and or video by talking about how good the offensive line could be because it feels so, like we've been down what? the road before. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I swear a lot of these guys are going to play. Menett's going to play. I think Miranda's going to play in the NFL. I, I think both tackles can play. 
Uh, interested to see what Juice Scruggs can do. Uh, he, I thought they, they really kind of looked to him later in the year. They must like the progress he's making. Greg, on this edition of the Blue-White Breakdown, we're almost done. But we've got to close with uh, a defensive returnee, Jaquan Brisker, who drew a lot of praise from Pro Football Focus. <clears throat> Juco uh, spent two years at Penn State, could have went, went into the draft, had a senior bowl invite, put out a tweet. I think he said he had talked a little bit with his dad and said, uh, unfinished business, I'm paraphrasing, but he is now coming back to the defense. You pair him with another veteran, Tariq Castro Fields, in the secondary. Uh, some of those young corners, they may need to get another safety involved for them to feel really good about the secondary. But, I mean, it sure looks like Jaquan Brisker is now the leader of that safety group. I have not heard anything at all about Lamont Wade. Maybe you have. But I think Jaquan Brisker, at the end of the year, was clearly their top safety. Yeah, I'm glad you did it this week, Bob, because the last two weeks I have made some kind of comment about, but we haven't heard this or we haven't heard that. And then as soon as we send the episode off to Joe Herman or Mark Pines, news comes out. So uh, we'll see if you elicit something from the Lamont Wade camp this week. He, of course, (laughs) uh, is uh, accepted a a Shrine Bowl, I think, invite, and that game's not being held, but they're doing some virtual stuff. So we'll see. As you've noted, Brisker had a Senior Bowl invitation that declines that to come back for another year. And, you know, I thought he played some of his best football down the stretch for Penn State. Uh, And is a guy who, with another year, I think is going – he certainly can improve where he stands in the NFL draft world. But I know there were a lot of people, too, who thought that he was kind of on track to maybe go higher than people thought he could, just based on some of the things he was able to do uh, for Penn State this year as a starter. So you got to have him back as key. And that second uh, safety starter will obviously be a big decision for Brent Pry, Tim Banks, and and Terry Smith as well. We'll see if they slide somebody back or what they decide to do there as they get John Dixon in a corner, of course, from the transfer market, which could shake things up. So plenty of options, but – you know, it's interesting. At this time, what, maybe a month ago, you would have questioned how many returning starters Penn State has. And I think certainly they have more than what many expected they would. Yeah. And so with reinforcements now coming back uh, in the secondary safety and at corner, uh, Rasheed Walker back uh, for the offensive line, Jahan Dotson uh, back with the wideouts. They were already pretty deep, I think, at running back. It remains to be seen what Mike Gersis can do with the quarterbacks, but they have some bodies there as well. It sure looks like, uh, you know, the the number one emphasis is going to be getting uh, the defensive line ready to go, developing some depth because they lost three defensive ends. They lost Antonio Shelton inside. So it sure looks like to me the number one, pro- the number one thing on James Franklin's list and maybe uh, – maybe Brent Pry's list is they got to get, they certainly have some talented players, Greg, but the defensive line I think is going to be a priority getting those guys fast tracked in their development, because it looks like they have a nice assortment of athletes at just about every other position. Yeah. I don't disagree at all. You know, obviously the Duke transfer Derek Tangelo comes in. We expect him, I think, to start at defensive tackle opposite PJ Mustafer. We saw some nice things from Hakeem Beeman last year. So So obviously hope that that carries over. And then Arnold Ebiketti, I'm going to go with the Temple defensive end, all AAC second team pick. He is uh, 
likely looking at first team reps as well and is uh, obviously a position that they have a lot to figure out at. So we'll see. That's one area. I think John Scott Jr. And those guys certainly have a lot of work to do, but that's why they went to transfer direction to at least try and fill in some of the void there. And I think that's about all you can ask for at this point. All right. The middle of January is upon us, Greg, here uh, in uh, central Pennsylvania. It's been another whiz-bang edition of the Penn State Breakdown. I'm Bob Flounders. He is Greg Pickle. As I said, pay attention. We're going to start to ramp these up a little bit more as we get closer to signing day and hopefully, knock on wood, um, some form of spring practice that's different. Well, they didn't have spring practice, so anything would be better than what they had to go through last year. I know, Greg, you like Zoom interviews as much as anyone else, but you know, I actually kind of missed a little bit uh, of those trips to State College, assuming it wasn't 50 below. But hopefully there'll be more of that coming up. Hope you have a good weekend. And like you said, Greg, the minute we the minute we'd wrap this and the minute they put, put it together, I'm sure there'll be some player news or some coaching news. And then we can wipe the egg off of our face next week and uh, just see where it goes from there. 